Welcome to the Anti Apathy Aunt podcast. I'm Deborah Doan, and I'm the Anti Apathy Aunt, the agony aunt for people who want to change the world but don't know where to start. In each episode, we tackle a social issue that someone's concerned about and speak to the people and organizations in civil society who are trying to do something about it. My message you don't have to join a political party or chain yourself to a fence. There are many ways you can beat the apathy blues starting here. Good morning, Danny. Hello. Good morning, Deborah. So what's arrived at the aunt's digital post bag today? Actually, I'm quite pleased to report, you know, we're only on our third episode, but we've had actually quite a few emails coming in. So that's getting me very excited. But the one we chose today is kind of unique. And it's a question from Steve, who lives in the world, which is outside Liverpool. And Steve writes... Our council is about to come out with its final version of the new local plan covering house building requirements for the next 15 years. The council's under-resourced, and I'm concerned that it will struggle to resist the pressure from developers of executive homes, leading it to move away from providing affordable housing on brownfield sites with proper environmental and safety standards. How can we make sure the council keeps focused on the right type of housing for lower income households in the locations that would really benefit from positive investment. How do you feel about that challenge, Danny? That is quite a big challenge. People's housing situation really divides the country. What makes this question even more interesting and challenging is that Steve has rightly honed in on the role of the local plan. And it sounds like something really abstract. And I suspect very few people know much about it or get involved in it. And I'm curious, have you ever heard about your local plan, Danny? No, I I don't know what my local plan is. Yeah. And I didn't really know much about it either until we, my local adventure playground wanted to, to extend a building locally that used for young people. And we were told we couldn't because it encroached too much onto metropolitan open land. And Metropolitan open land is a fancy term for just designated green space in the council plan. The irony was at the time that a big property developer next door was on the verge of getting planning permission to wipe out an entire green field and at the same time lowering its provision for social housing. Now, it was a it was a massive fight. It had to do with the local football stadium after about four years of tussling back and forth. The big property developer one. And our little adventure playground did not. So the big property developer got its permission to build onto green space in exchange for providing most of the social housing. I think it was 33%. But our little adventure playground, we had to make our building smaller and our footprint smaller and everything else. So it really embodied the argument that Steve is making here. So I think this is a great challenge. And uh, I think we should just get stuck right in. So who are we going to speak to first? Steve asked about planning, but his focus was on housing. So the first person we're going to speak to is Osama Buta. And Osama is the director of campaigns at Shelter. Now, Shelter is a national organization that works to defend the right to housing. And they've been around since the 60s. Now, we obviously haven't completely solved the housing crisis, as Steve's letter suggests, um, but they have had some major legal successes protecting tenants' rights. So welcome, Osama. Thanks for joining me today. Really great to be with you. 
I know you're new to shelter. Tell me a bit how you personally got interested in the issue of housing. I was brought up as as a campaigner, you know, as my parents were involved in in a variety of of causes when when I was young, ranging from helping victims of domestic violence to you know helping the, the victims of the the war in Bosnia in the, in the in the 90s but my, my housing inspiration was was my auntie who was discriminated against by an estate agent um, you know they weren't letting her view homes that she might want to 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 move into and she took them to to court um, and she she won and not only that she she put the gits out of business um, as well, so she was she was a massive inspiration for me uh, growing up. So the right to housing and and the ability to fight for the right to housing is in your DNA. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, now shelters own housing figures kind of state that there are still over a million households in this country waiting for social homes, and also that there are thousands of houses still destroyed every year, which I found quite extraordinary. Shelter's been around since the 60s. Why don't we have adequate, affordable housing in this country? We're doing our best, Deborah. We're doing our, we're doing our best, but yeah, we can't, we can't do it ourselves. And, you know, the update on those figures, so that waiting list is, is actually now 1.6 million. It is astonishing the amount of people that are waiting for, for a new social home. Why is it like that? It's probably pretty simple. It's, it boils down to supply. Do we have enough homes uh, being built in this country? Um, and this comes out of the, the spirit after, after the Second World War. And at that point, um, the, the government, uh, conservative government, as, as it happens, uh, built hundreds of thousands of homes. And there's a determination of, of Winston Churchill. So if you want to get Churchillian about this, you know, he wanted uh, massive upscaling housing, recognising that if you leave it to the private sector, it's not going to be enough, that there needs to be a good public investment in housing and the housing gives everyone the start and the foundation that they need in life to be successful and to thrive. And then for decades we were building hundreds of thousands of homes a year as, as a country. And then in the 70s the, the tap was starting to get shut and, and then when Margaret Thatcher came in the supply of, of council housing, social housing uh, was starting to get sold off. So we're selling uh, that those public assets and not replacing them. And what that's meant is that over the last 40 years, private house builders have built just about the same number of houses continually if you look at the bar chart. But we've not had that extra supply coming in that, the, that we need from that public sector. And I think there is a growing recognition now that this is wrong. It's led to, to this housing emergency that we're in. And this touches millions and millions of people uh, up and down this country. And the, the solution is very simple. We need to build more social housing. It strikes me as a really complicated issue. Like, is it the responsibility of my local authority? Is it the responsibility of the national government? And it almost feels like each of them pass the buck to the other. The power resides locally as, as it should. I mean, we're, we're, we're a very centralized country in, in many respects, but if we are going to build at the scale that we need to build that now, and I think that, again, this is these aren't just shelter figures. There's a pretty good consensus across the board that we need around 90 to 100,000 homes, social homes, a year to, to, to now be built. And ideally at local government level, 
um, local housing association level, that's where that should happen. They, they should they should be the ones building them. However, they can only do that if they've got the money to do that. Uh, and if we are talking about publicly owned homes, um, then that needs to be publicly funded uh, from most likely from central government. And we need that tap to, to open again if we are going to address the housing emergency that exists in this country. Now, Steve has rightly pointed out to the fact that the local authority is, is who he wants to hold to account for providing affordable housing. Have you seen um, situations that have worked where, where a local council is doing things right? Yeah. Um, I mean, councils will, 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 will tell you that their hands are tied. What they will say is that we don't have enough supply of homes and we can't, we can't just magic those homes. We need the funding to be able to do that. And I think there's a high degree of legitimacy. What councils can do is show what can be done. Uh, and the, the example that probably comes to mind is, is recently with Norwich in the Goldsmith Street initiative, uh, which won the, the Sterling Prize for, for architecture. Um, because, you know, part of the problem here is when people think of, of social housing, there's a bad rep because the good ones got sold off uh, and the bad ones or the ones with problems remained within the, within the public sector. When we talk about we need a new generation of social homes in this country, what we're talking about is absolute best in class. When you can see that supply and what it would look like, then it's much easier to bring it into, uh, into reality. Um, so, you know, much more of that kind of thing would be great as well. And, and what about Steve's question though about resisting the pressure of the big developers of executive homes who might presume waive their kind of money and that entices the councils who are all short of cash? You know, how did Norwich manage to do that, I wonder? Well, it's, it's the easy way. So it's, it's what's called Section 106 under the legislation. So if, if you know, large planning permission is given to, to house builders, then a certain percentage of that needs to be quote-unquote affordable homes. So for, for, for many local authorities across the country, that's been the, the easiest way to get something of a supply coming in, which is why they've done it that way. But there are people fighting back. I mean, in, in, in uh, my home city here in, in, in Glasgow, there's there's been uh, local people organising in, in a place called, uh, area called Mary Hill, where there's an area which the council have been trying to uh, to sell off to, to private developers. Local citizens have got together and said, no, um, we, we, we don't find this acceptable. Yeah, we'll get a certain percentage of affordable homes, uh, but we want more than that. So the council have um, reluctantly agreed to uh, to go back to the drawing board on that and now uh, there is talk amongst the the campaigners the local people to to see if they can buy out the land themselves and, and do something else so you know there, there, there's a great degree of um, possibility out there and I think in different parts of the country people can fight back in different ways depending on the local circumstances the appetite of of local people as well to to, to take on um, action uh, and, and take responsibility for um, for making things better. That's a terrific point to start for uh, Steve, who who wrote in about the issue. You know, you talked about what the professional sector needs to do more of that the the professional organizations working on housing. But how can ordinary people engage in this issue? You know, is there anything be, beyond the usual 
sign a petition or send us some money. The, the first thing that Steve could do is is find out who else is is out there who's of a like mind. He, he almost certainly will not be the only one thinking like this. I've seen people put call-outs on Facebook and, and, and normally there are groups of uh, you know, local groups for gardening and whatnot. You know, sometimes if you if you just find an adjacent inn, you can you can post something and you you'll find people uh, that way. Um, there's also actual housing groups. You know, if, if I think about uh, tenants groups like Acorn and Shelter as well. You know, we've changed over the last few years in uh, investing in community hubs um, across the country. Uh, where local organising and local solidarity is happening. So, you know, check out our website as well and see who you can connect with there. But, you know, the next step once you get together is, okay, figure out what's going on. Where are decisions being taken? Uh, turn up to public meetings. You know, there there are ways that this thing is getting consulted and ways for you to, to make sure your voice is heard. And sometimes I've, I've seen these meeting w- meetings where, you know, one or two people are there but even those one or two people you can get i've seen officials council officials get very worried about that because suddenly there's there's a challenge there's someone putting a, a counterpoint and if the case for what is being proposed in terms of these exec- executive homes is is weak suddenly that can unravel pretty quickly um and and you can get momentum going i mean th- this is the fantastic thing about local politics i mean some sometimes people fixate on what's going on in westminster which can seem really impenetrable. But on your local level, what's going on in your local authority is sometimes extremely unscrutinized. And the minute you get into that, get into some of the papers, what are people publishing, turn up at the meetings, write to your MP, write to your council. It does not take a lot sometimes to to get people panicked and get people motivated as well uh, on, on a local level. It can be as simple as just make your own, you know, you know, authentic hand scrawled leaflets Put them through your neighbours, you know, and the next couple of streets. Just explain who you are, and and sometimes I, I think you know people live very isolated existences these days. I mean that human connection, that human touch. You you'll suddenly get people responding to you in in quite profound ways. Um, but you know, I think oftentimes people are scared to make that that very first move. So if you could offer one final piece of advice to Steve, what? would it be? Change can happen. And it's as Margaret Mead said, um, don't, don't doubt that uh, a small uh, committed group of, of people can, can change the world. It is the only thing that it ever has. Um, so go for it. Very, very optimistic ending. I like it. Thank you so much for your advice and for your time today. Thanks very much, Osama. Pleasure. Thanks, Deborah. Osama gave us a lot of ideas around how we organize for housing rights. But I also thought Steve could value from learning from someone with deep experience of community engagement and how to organize from the bottom up so that the council does pay attention. And her name is Jill Hughes. So welcome, Jill. Hi, thank you, Deborah. So Jill, just as by way of introduction, uh, you are an academic. Uh, by trade at the University of Hull, but I brought you on here because I was really inspired by something that you created called the Hull We Want. Tell me a bit about it. 
The Hall We Want is a really exciting project in the city and um, it has spread beyond. I host it through the university, but it is with community partners. Um, we decided after thinking through things with um, others around the society we want that we would actually do the Hall We Want because we felt that um, it was time to think about post-austerity, what we wanted to do um, in the city and what people would want for their futures. So we created some engagement tools. We have um, a fabulous conversation couch, which um, I'm hopeful Deborah will put a picture up of because it's um, a big blue couch made out of pallets um, with this, with clouds on to suggest um the future really and, and a, a bright future for people it's got wobbly wheels sometimes they've come off and we had a wishing washing tree which is a rotary washing line which we put up and then we just peg people's needs and dreams on there so people can see each other's and get inspired and, and read and see what other people do so and it's very bright because what we've used is some oil cloth in red and green apples so we've cut out those apples so they're then pegged onto the tree and um, both the couch and the wishing washing tree create a spectacle. People are very curious, so they'll come across and talk to us. It creates the idea of being in a living room. I can imagine you took this blue cloud couch out. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what happened? So people were really curious when they saw us walking around with a big blue couch, which has got clouds on, um, with the idea of sort of being able to dream. And what was really interesting is they never asked us where we were from or who we were, but they were very open to talking to us about um, their needs and their dreams. Then we started to go along to people's events. And then eventually it was, can the couches come to our events? So we managed to sort of cover citywide, really, talking to people about uh, this. And in the process, um, really, we were sort of having conversations about people's lives and storytelling. So active listening, thinking about these things with people. Um, and what we've done since is is sort of um, spread those ideas. We, we've created relationships with people who had influence, so with the council and um, with health and people like that. So the question we had from Steve was, how do I get my local council to prioritize the needs for affordable housing, environmentally sound housing? So how do we transfer this kind of idea of what you're doing in the whole we want to something like housing? Good question. And um, one of the things that's happened with the whole we want is we, we've started to call it the hashtag approach in a sense. And um, crucially, the, the the word in the middle, the we, is the, the biggest part of that, actually, because it's about a collective idea and, a, and collaboration. He could actually do hashtag the we're all housing we want and talk to local people about the, the issues, but also other stakeholders as well. It would be possible, I think, to do something where you were, where Steve and, and some allies that he could um, sort of draw together could actually take a simple idea like this um, to go out and talk to people because one of the most powerful things is to hear people's voices and um, that's very difficult then for people in power to sort of ignore. If Steve could um, develop some relationships with, with some of the council workers or the council councillors and um, local voluntary and community sector organisations, as well as the local people. Quite often um, today we find using videos really helpful as well to, to hear the voices of people. Uh, like I say, it's very difficult to ignore what it is that people want. How did the whole we want get the council to come and sit on your couch? 
I suppose we were working in a particular area of the city and we approached the councillors to sit on the couch and to talk to us. We also, and another idea for Steve is to, to talk to the local radio station. So we actually had a three-hour show from our couches in the east of the city, which happened to be um, the, the leader of the council and deputy leader. They came down and they spent um, a good two hours with us um, speaking on the radio, talking to people, and actually endorsed the fact that they, they appreciated this approach, listening to people, and they would take on board the um, ideas that came from that. I think that point about local media is really important, actually. I think it's more impactful than people really think it is. So you're an academic working in civil society. What if you're not? You know, What skills do people need if they want to get involved in community organizing in this way? How would they go about it? I think, um, as I said before, um, building some allies with other people, I think, is really useful. So um, there will probably be other organisations around um, the area who are have got interest in housing and um, communities. So, you know, trying to build relationships with other people. Communication skills, obviously, are really good. And, and feeling comfortable in having conversations with people and listening to people recognizing the difference between participation and consultation because quite often communities um, have um, people come in to consult them but that means that there's already some choices on the table whereas starting from where people are in, in the beginning and asking people with a blank piece of paper what is it that, that you would want um, I think is really useful and recognizing the assets that people have so in the conversations that you have with people you know you'll be able to draw out where people have got skills themselves and knowledge themselves because it's it's really important to sort of engage with everybody in the process. So in the in the case that Steve mentions the local plan is imminent what you know I don't know really what that means in planning terms but you know, something like community organizing, my understanding of it is that it is about long term involvement and in getting people to realize they can have a, a say over decisions. Is there any way, though, that something kind of quick can have an impact when there is something imminent and something serious? then I think it's probably um, a good idea to, to sort of start with action. You know, it might be that Steve would want to take up something like the hashtag, the we're all housing we want, because you start something like that. You can then start a trend on Twitter and other social media to, to get people interested, because a lot of people may not even know about the issues that will be coming through in relation to planning. Um, so it would be good to start to, to work in that way to um, to find some allies in the sort of voluntary and community sector who are around housing, because there will be organisations that advise on housing for, for local people. And perhaps to get out there on the street, you know, maybe even create some sort of strange tool like a, a conversation couch. But the other thing that we found really helpful is to have to host an event, perhaps in somewhere prominent um, on a busy shopping day, perhaps like a feast. And that really attracts people because we find that food, arts, music, things like that are really good engagement tools. Create something of a spectacle um, to, to maybe sort of raise that and also perhaps invo inviting the local media, um, the local radio station, newspaper, um, and invite the councillors uh, along who will be on the planning committee perhaps um, to something as well. So I think it is possible to start to do that, piggyback onto other people's um, initiatives so if anybody's got any sort of um, fairs or fates or something coming up um, some piggyback on those and say can we come along and talk to people um, so that 
the, the you know the faster he can gather some ideas and and um, views from people that will then be able to be given to people in power. I think the, that that would be really useful. Terrific. There, so there's lots of advice in there for Steve. Spectacle, media, local councillors, and hashtags. So maybe one last thought for Steve. I think sometimes people feel that change can't happen. So I would I would be hopeful that you can address change. And that um, one of the things that we sort of say is um, sometimes it's like stop talking and do. So, you know, engage in some action um, to, to go forward so that it can start to create um, a momentum behind this issue. That's absolutely terrific. Thank you so much for your time on a Saturday morning, Jill. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for asking me. I was really um, pleased to be asked. So Steve has had a chance to listen to these interviews and we've now got Steve on the line. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Deborah. Thank you so much for writing in. I thought it was a really great question. Why is the issue so important to you? Well, planning is not perhaps the most exciting sort of subject in uh, in the world, but planning plays a fundamental role in determining the the sort of built environment in which we live. So having safe and secure um, accommodation is is one of those things that I think is is almost like a basic human right. Um, It impacts so many aspects of life right through from education through to old age. And as I say, the planning part isn't that exciting, but the, the influence that planning process has can be. So you've had a chance to listen to the interviews. Um, was there anything in particular that's inspired you? Well, there was certainly certainly one or two things which sort of jumped out at me. First of all, that the local authority is accountable for all this stuff that's happening about development and planning. And the second thing is that local voices can actually have an impact. This, this local plan, which was part of the question, is, is kind of like the blueprint uh, for development in the borough for the next 10 or 15 years. Listening to Osama in particular, what occurred to me is that the plan is really only the first step in the actually how that plan is subsequently implemented is actually really important too. In fact, it's probably more important. Um, And that means that you, you need to hold the council accountable as we go into the future. And I, I hadn't really sort of got on to consider that yet. Um, but it means that the sort of things that, that we'd be doing in the last few years, contacting councillors, contacting the planning committees, talking with the planning department even, those things actually need to continue into the future as well as being something that we've done in the last sort of three or four years. So that for me was, it kind of filled a bit of a, a gap in my thinking, I think. And to do that, what do you think you personally might do going forward? Personally, I think there's there's definitely the the links with planning people that we've already used. Um, but I think Jill was talking, she talked quite eloquently, I thought, about the fact that you're not necessarily alone in this and, and that there will undoubtedly be other people locally who feel the same way, who are probably already active and so it's a question of, of finding like minds, I guess. And I'd not really considered that beyond our street. You know, all the stuff that, that I've done in the last sort of um, 
couple of years has all, all been with neighbours. It hasn't kind of gone beyond that. And I think Jill was encouraging everybody to just look a bit further afield maybe because there will be other other people who are thinking similarly, wanting to do similar things. So that, that was kind of like an action that I put on myself to do that. I was wondering if you were inspired to think about building a couch, the world we want, or, or a hashtag. Yeah, po- possibly. Yeah, that, I, I, for, for me personally, that's probably not the way I go about I'm, I'm not very hashtag-oriented, I'm afraid. Part of my um, finding other people is to actually find people who are maybe more in tune with that kind of way of communicating. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I've, I've got a certain set of skills, I guess. It's finding people that can actually complement those skills and actually, you know, build a better, a better response to this so we can keep the, the council accountable. That's terrific. Um, well, I hope it's given you uh, enough food for thought. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much for joining the Anti-Apathy Aunt podcast. Okay, thank you. So what did you think, Danny? I thought that was really inspiring. There were were great tips there about bringing neighbours together and starting a local campaign. What struck me is how easy it might be to influence a local council. I mean, Osama's point about one person showing up at a council meeting and how even that can make a difference. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I absolutely also loved Jill's combination of DIY actions, a sofa, a hashtag, contacting the local media. All of this was echoed by Osama and his idea about a handwritten leaflet. Um, These are really useful, simple, tangible ideas. A final question for you, Danny. Do you think you're going to find out about your local plan? I will definitely look into what my local plan is. My experience of meeting local councillors is often they do have good intentions and want signs that a community really cares about an issue for them to take things further. It is true. I know a few local councillors as well, and I'm sure they really value hearing about what's important to people and what they can do to help. So I think you're absolutely right. They need to hear from us as citizens. Something that neither Jill or Osama mentioned is Grenfell, which I feel is like a warning to us that we ignore local voices at our at our peril. You're absolutely right. And I think that's a really good place for us to remind ourselves how important this issue really is. And that's why I wanted us to take this one on. The role of the local authorities in ensuring safe and decent housing, affordable housing, has really come under the spotlight. And let's hope that ordinary citizens like Steve are inclined to get involved. And it strikes me that if Steve gets stuck in, we could have some very positive outcomes for local communities. Thank you for listening. Do follow us on Twitter at AntiApathyAunt and join in the discussion. How do you think you might get involved in ensuring that local plans are focused on the right type of housing in the right place? If you have an issue that you want to change and need some inspiration, get in touch via email or Twitter or go to antiapathyaunt.com. Our next episode will explore the hot topic, literally, of the climate crisis and what you can do to bring about political change if you're older or don't want to chain yourself to a public highway. This has been an Anti-Apathy Aunt production. Have a good day.